0: hun <laughs> hun Hello there, I'm Shree. Welcome back to the Green Florence and Recalibrate podcast mini-series. This episode, Pavina and I chat to Hore, the VP of Engineering and Data at Unravel Carbon. We chat about Hore's journey from tech to Unravel Carbon, all about AI powered decarbonization platforms, working at a seed stage startup, and the future for techies wanting to enter the climate space. Get ready
1: for episode four. Hey everyone, we're very excited to have our guests here today with us from Unravel Carbon. Welcome again to the Recalibrate and Greenfluence podcast series where our mission is to profile entrepreneurs from emerging markets in the climate tech space. What I'm really looking forward to today in this chat is finding more about how Unravel Carbon is solving the decarbonization problem using software as a service, as a solution, and also understanding a bit more about our guest Jorge and his journey from working in technology and engineering into climate tech. Shri, what are you looking forward to today in this episode?
0: I'm really looking forward to understanding how their approach aligns with the greenhouse gas protocol. So that's something I'm really looking forward to learning a bit more about. And I hope to learn more uh, about Jorge's journey as a founder as well.
1: Great. So we'll just jump into it. I'll give a bit of background on our guest today, Jorge is a people-first technology leader, entrepreneur, and physicist by training. He's also an alumnus of Y Combinator, the Perimeter Institute of Theoretical Physics, and the University of Waterloo. Jorge currently supports Unravel Carbon's engineering and data teams. Unravel Carbon is on a mission to decarbonize one gigaton of emissions by 2030. Jorge previously had led Drop's engineering and data teams and co-founded and served as a CTO of Canopy Labs. He has experience leading and scaling data and engineering teams and companies whose products impact millions of people. We'll jump into the first question. Jorge, what, what was your path in joining a climate tech company like? We obviously understand that you were a theoretical physicist at a very renowned institute and also co-founded a startup that got acquired and led engineering teams at top tech companies. How did you manage to craft that pathway into the climate space and what motivated you to join this space?
2: Yeah, happy to talk about that. So when I think about, I guess, my academic and professional journey so far, at least, I think the one common thread is a deep... Curiosity and interest in solving interesting challenges, and doing so with or collaborating and working with great people. So that, at first, when I when I was a student back in Peru, which is where I was born and raised, manifested itself in me wanting to study physics. That led me to move abroad to first do a masters in Amsterdam, and then move to Canada to do a PhD at the Perimeter Institute. And at that point in my life, what I was curious about was really just try to understand how nature works at the most fundamental level, which is what led me to study theoretical physics. And I chose to do so at places, and I was fortunate to be able to do that at places where uh, or that had really strong research groups in the areas that I was interested in. But what happened about 13 years ago now When I was finishing my PhDs, I realized that I had enjoyed that part of my life, but I wanted to work on another set of interesting challenges, but that had more practical applications. And that's what led me into tech. So that's when I made the move from academia to tech. And that's what led me to co-found Canopy Labs, which was a startup that my friend and I started. And that we also went through Y Combinator with, We eventually exited Canopy Labs in 2018 to Drop, which is a later stage company here in Canada. And what led me to climate tech specifically last year is again, me taking a step back and realizing that for the last 10 years of my professional life in tech, I had been working in what you could very broadly think of as marketing tech, marketing technology which ultimately has a goal goal of helping um, companies of all sizes generate more money by optimizing their marketing campaigns, right? And I learned a lot and I really enjoyed doing that, but I was ready and I was looking to use my skills and my experience to help a company tackle a problem that I thought would be more meaningful and that could have a positive impact in the world. And so that's what led me to explore opportunities in climate tech and eventually led me to meet Grace and Mark who are Unrival Carbon's co-founders through the Y Combinator Network. And one thing led to another and that's how I ended up joining the company in August of 2022.
1: Thanks for sharing um, about your journey, Jorge. That's very interesting about your transition from academia into tech and then into climate space. And we will dig a bit more into your journey. What are the tips and knowledge that you can share for other engineers that are in broader tech that are looking to transition into the climate space. But I think we'll first focus on, tell us a bit more about what problem is Unravel Carbon currently solving and how are you doing that?
2: Yeah, so what we're building at Unravel Carbon is a urbanization platform that helps companies track report, but more importantly, reduce their carbon emissions across scopes one, two, and three, with a particular emphasis on scope three or supply chain missions. So I'm happy to dive deeper on our approach and what makes us unique. But the one thing that I wanted to emphasize the reduction part in when I was explaining what we do, our two co-founders and the founding team, everyone at the company really cares about our products being able to provide actionable insights to our customers to the companies that can help them achieve their net zero goals. So the approach that we take is to decarbonize or reduce first and then use offsets as a second option. So that's that's what we're building at a high level. I'm happy to go into the details of how we do that if you want.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Um if you could yeah. Explain a bit more about the tech behind the product and the skills that the team needs to, to build it.
2: Yeah, happy to do that. So one of the key insights that Mark and Grace had when they were founding the company was that in order to build a platform, a software platform, that would help companies identify actionable decarbonization or carbon reduction insights or actions, we had to rethink the approach by which we calculated a company's carbon footprint. And we had to move away from category or industry averages and really go to a very granular level of detail when it came to ingesting and analyzing data. And so that's a key insight because that has informed our approach to developing our platform. So when we work, when we start working with a customer, the first thing that happens is that they need to integrate several data sets into our platform. And these data sets usually consist of accounting data and ERP data. And these data sets are item level data sets. So you can think of them as tables where each row gives us information, very granular information about goods or services for example that the company has purchased and one of the columns or one of the fields in each row is uh, an item description which is text that tells us information which comes frankly in the form of a free form uh, of free form text or a free form string but tells us very granular detailed information about what products or service the company purchased And so our approach is to ingest that type of data, that type of item level data. And then what our carbon engine does is it tries to map each item that it sees from these data sets to the most relevant emission factor in our proprietary database of emission factors. And so by doing that at a very granular level, we're able to calculate the full carbon footprint for a company in such a way that our customers can slice and dice the data in ways that are simply not possible without using this approach. And furthermore, focusing on ingesting item level data is also what enables us to identify very specific and actionable decarbonization initiatives that they can take to hit their net zero goals.
0: Right. And so, it's not just about how your software converts, um, you know, company data into, you know, full supply chain carbon data, but it, it's about how they do it in a way that companies, when they look at their data, they can they can um, separate it into a way that is digestible enough to achieve their their goals.
2: Yes, one hundred percent. That that is one thing that we take a lot of pride in is the fact that we are using a, we're building an enterprise product, enterprise software, but we're doing so by applying a consumer grade experience. So we have product managers, product designers, software engineers, data folks, all of whom have deep expertise building both consumer and also uh, enterprise products. But our goal is to build a platform to be as self-serve as possible.
0: Consumer and enterprise. And so by that, you mean individuals can use it as well?
2: No, no, no. What, what I mean by that is that uh, usually when you think of consumer software or software built for consumer or software products built for consumers, you think of those type of products as having an amazing user interface, very good user experience. And the usual way of thinking about, or the old-school way of thinking about enterprise software is to think of this monolithic, difficult-to-use products. And what I'm saying is that our team has the skill set, and this is the approach that we're using to build our product, our team has a skill set to build an enterprise software that is a, to put it in a short way, a pleasure to use.
0: Right. So in this way, um, this approach helps your team to streamline this reporting process by using the platform um, and then obviously the consumers um, can automatically generate reports for uh, both internal and external stakeholders?
2: That's correct. Yes. So the reports that our customers can generate when using the platform uh, can be shared with ex- internal and external stakeholders, yes.
0: Right. So these reports, can can they be exported into different platforms? From reading the website, it says it can be exported into different formats.
2: Right. It, it depends on what you mean by if they can be exported into different products or systems. Uh, what our customers can do is they can export these reports in different file formats, so they can be exported as uh, PDF files or as presentations, uh, literally uh, as a deck that they can that gets auto-populated with the results uh, that our platform has uh, calculated for them. And so, this gives our customers the ability to further customize their reports before they share them with internal stakeholders, for example, for presentation purposes uh, and so on.
0: Right. That's really interesting. Um, just shifting gears to another part of the whole um, system, the approach that you guys take um, also aligns with the greenhouse gas protocol. Can you talk a bit about that?
2: Yes. So it, it does align with it. Uh, our entire, the methodology that our carbon engine, and as a quick side note, our carbon engine is the part of a platform that sits behind the scenes in our backend that is responsible for ingesting the data that I was referring to earlier, and then calculating emission results based on that data and on our proprietary database of emission factors. So the full methodology behind our engine is fully compliant with the greenhouse gas protocol. And we're actually going through an external audit that is well auditing and validating our or methodology.
0: Right. Um, and so there, there's some pathways there to achieve net zero standards.
2: Yes, that's correct.
1: Great. Well, that it sounds like you've got a very unique product that you've built, Jorge. Um, we want to take a step back and just look at macro indicators for obviously the target market, the addressable market as a whole. What we understand is obviously there's a lot of Regulations coming in place to mandate scope three, particularly in the EU, I think in the US, the SEC have been toying with looking at um, mandating or regulating companies to disclose not just scope one and scope two, but also scope three emissions. Within the broader Asia Pacific, we haven't seen that type of drive Um, outside of Australia. There's been a bit of talks around carbon disclosure and reporting. What is the key driver that has been a key motivating factor for you guys to see that there's an opportunity to solve problem in this space. And what we're seeing is that there are a lot of startups that are popping up in the carbon accounting and emissions reporting space. So how are you positioning yourself in the competitive landscape?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm happy to address that last question. So we, we don't think of ourselves as a carbon accounting platform but rather a decarbonization platform and i can't emphasize enough how big of a driver or even a principle that is to the company and it it is all due to grace and mark's insight when when starting uh, the company and so a lot of the companies in this space help their customers meet their goals when it comes to just measuring and reporting their emissions but we go a step beyond that and put a lot of emphasis on helping our customers meet their carbon reduction goals. So we help them reduce first and offset last. We do think that carbon offsets are going to be part of the journey towards net zero. And within our platform, we also are working to provide our customers with a marketplace where they can also purchase offsets. But the ultimate goal for us is to provide them with ways to decarbonize their operations and to hit their net zero goals. The other thing that I think also makes us different in the space is the the fact that in order to enable our mission as a company to accelerate the world's progress towards a zero carbon economy, we are also building two really interesting proprietary data sets or databases behind the scenes one of them being the emission factors database that i've mentioned a couple of times already and then the second the second one is our database of decarbonization solutions so we have a team of decarbonization experts at the company led by mark who is our co-founder and chief sustainability officer and that team is the one that's responsible for generating and growing this database of decarbonization solutions. And it is that database of decarbonization solutions that allows us to go one step further than other companies in this space and to actually find actionable insights and actions for our customers.
1: So we'll come back to um, offsets, carbon offsets in a bit, but um am really curious, and I'm sure our audience is very curious when you talk about decarbonization and particularly because we're um, here, we're trying to solve the problem of scope one, scope two, and scope three. Can you Give us an example of an actionable insight that you are now proposing to one of the customers that you're working with under the broader decarbonization. I guess it's helpful to understand to what extent you actually uh, unravel carbon actually gets involved in trying to influence, obviously, business operations, whether that be helping companies convert from putting solar PV on site or looking at deploying battery systems or maybe convert. Electrifying their existing um, corporate fleet. I think it would be helpful for our audience to understand yeah, when we talk about decarbonization, what type of solutions are we really referring to here?
2: Yeah, so happy to share an example of how we helped or how our platform helped one of our customers find a very specific decarbonization initiative. So, Stop, which is a food and beverage chain in Southeast Asia, is one of our first customers. And one of the key insights that they got by using our platform is that the most emissions intensive products in their menu that they worked with was feta cheese so that was a key insight that they derived from our platform that they were completely unaware of and what Our climate program, which is the name of the product within the platform that helps companies identify decarbonization initiatives. Uh, What the climate program did for Salostop is it found a few alternatives for them to either find different feta cheese suppliers or find alternatives to replace feta cheese with other ingredients that were less emission intensive.
0: Right. Um, That's super interesting. So, just going into a different side of things, can you talk a bit more about your experience working at a seed stage startup, about both your achievements and challenges as a founder?
2: Yeah. Let me answer your question by just trying to give your listeners an idea of, I guess, the upside and the exciting opportunities of joining an early stage startup. So, to me, one of the most interesting aspects of working at a seed stage or early stage company is the fact that regardless of your role, you will have opportunities to have full ownership over high impact, high scope initiatives. So it doesn't really matter what your title is, or what, you're, what role you're in, what team or department you're in. If one of the things that You're interested in is in wearing many hats, getting out of your comfort zone, exploring maybe domains or functional areas that you haven't had a chance to explore, but you think that you might enjoy joining an early stage startup may be something to consider. One thing that I think people that are thinking about the idea of joining an early stage startup need to be fully aware of and comfortable with is the fact that there will be a high degree of ambiguity at an early stage startup, which is the result of, well, the stage of the company is right? So, if you're joining a seed stage company, chances are that the company may not have product market fit yet, for example. If you're lucky, then you will be joining a seed stage company that has product market fit already. But chances are that they're not there yet. And so that in itself creates a lot of ambiguity for everyone that is involved at the company. And so being comfortable with that and being comfortable with the idea of making decisions without having a hundred percent of the information that you wish you had in order to move quickly uh, and to validate your hypotheses and your ideas by putting your product in front of customers is something that I think people just need to be fully aware of when they're considering joining a, an early stage
1: company. Right.
0: So that's, that's one of the things that people do need to be aware of, that you do have to move pretty quickly because there's so much competition around and there can be expectations for that seed stage startup to meet the competition that's in that market. Just on that, from interviewing a couple founders, we've realized that, you know, there are things that you do need to consider, like hiring suitable candidates, making uh, partnership decisions that can be quite hard at times where there is... A lot of factors that you need to consider before making, you know, certain decisions that can um, affect the business as a whole. You know, there's also like financial management side of things and winning the trust of customers. So I want to talk to you a bit about that. Uh, what do you think about connecting with your customer as opposed to just meeting targets?
2: Oh, I think that is a key part of building a successful business product, and as a result, building a successful company. At the stage that we are in as a company, my expectation my expectation is that everyone in the team, regardless of the role, and frankly, across the company, cares deeply about the problems that we're trying to solve for our customers. As a very specific example, uh, within the engineering team and the data teams at Unravel, we Ask software engineers, data scientists, machine learning engineers to also join customer calls that our customer success team or sustainability team, for example, may have with our customers, just to help them navigate some of the challenges that they may be facing within their roles. And also, it's a good opportunity for folks in technical roles to build empathy towards. Our customers, and I have found that that usually leads them to be more engaged and more motivated in their in their roles. But yes, it, I, I think customer obsession is actually one of the values, one of the company values that we have at Unravel Carbon, and I'm very happy to say that I see that in practice every day when working with with the team.
0: Right, that's super interesting to, to hear. And I think that's a really good approach um, to take as well, because customers should be at the heart of any organization, especially a startup. They need to be thinking about uh, what their best interests are and how to connect with them, how to build that empathy, how to understand the problems that they're facing, and how that startup can provide solutions to, to solve their problems.
1: Building on your talk around AI and machine learning tech talents, obviously working at Unravel Carbon and the meaning that they get from joining these customer meetings, we obviously know that We've been hearing a lot about, you know, the recent layoffs in tech, in the broader tech sector around the world. And there's now an opportunity for the climate tech space to attract talents, right? Particularly from talents with backgrounds around data science, AI and machine learning, which seems to be a very hot topic these days on the back of, you know, the launch of ChatGPT and also Bing and some of the other companies companies that are coming forward with really innovative solutions. How do you think um, the climate tech sector, how can startups in the climate tech sector position itself to attract talent into this sector? And what do you think the tech sector should know about working in climate?
2: So this is a trend that I noticed even before the recent round of mass layoffs uh, in tech. and I noticed that right around the time uh, when I made a transition last year from my previous role to Unravel or to Climate Tech, I have noticed that more and more people who have deep experience in technology, be it in software engineering, data science, machine learning, product design, product management, are looking just generally to spend their time at work tackling interesting but also meaningful problems that they care about and that they think can have a net positive impact on the world. And climate tech uh, obviously ticks all those boxes. In terms of what can climate tech companies do to attract the level of talent that they're looking for, I frankly think that they have more than half the battle won just by being in the climate tech space. I think beyond that, it really is more about things that are applicable to any company that is looking to hire great people, which is to give them the opportunity to create impact, to give them interesting, meaningful problems to work with, and also give them the chance to work with great people. So. Great people attract more great people. So uh, being mindful and very thoughtful about your early team, I think is really key as as an early stage company. And lastly, I I don't think this trend is going to slow down. In fact, I think it is going to accelerate. And over the next year or two, uh, I expect more and more People with deep technology backgrounds moving not only over to climate tech, but also going into other problem spaces or problem domains that perhaps have been overlooked over the last 10 or so years.
1: Yes, I would say that um, the climate tech space is definitely growing. You could almost compare it to... in the industrial age right it's the first time that we're really revisiting how we how our economy functions and trying to introduce new solutions that mainstream's climate risks and climate impact on our economy so i think for all the engineers and tech talents that are listening to this episode there's an opportunity to transition into the space is very open um, right now and there's a lot of innovation that's happening and who are interested in the work that um, Jorge is doing at Unravel Carbon. So we encourage you guys to really reach out to the team. Jorge, thank you so much. I definitely agree with that. Um, And it's so good to see
0: that uh, the climate tech space is growing and as this sense of urgency around climate change is increasing. A lot of tech workers are ditching these ultra desirable, high-paying tech jobs to work at companies fighting climate change. And as more tech workers consider jumping to careers fighting climate change, what we see is that there are many resources that are popping up to help them make that switch. So um, an example is Work on Climate is a not-for-profit working to help people find jobs in climate. Uh, And this uh, community has a Slack channel with more than 10,000 members. And, um, you know, uh, the co-founder, Eugene, is uh, very passionate about this space. So if you are looking forward to joining Um, the climate space, check out work on climate. The Australian version, I think, is work for climate. And there are a couple more communities that are popping up here and there. So I think look forward to that.
2: I'll just give a quick shout out to uh, Climate Tech List. So their website is climatetechlist.com, which is another very good resource for anyone who is looking to explore the climate tech space and all the different companies within it. If you're interested in learning more about us, uh, obviously visit our website at unravelcarbon.com. But we also have a listing on Climate Tech List with more details about how we use AI and uh, machine learning and just engineering in general to tackle the problems that we're solving for for our customers.
0: Right. Awesome. That's so good to hear. So everyone tuning in, go check them out for the Greenfluence and Recalibrate communities. If they would like to get in touch with you or learn a bit more about Unravel Carbon, where can they go?
2: To learn more about Unravel Carbon, please go to our website, which is unravelcarbon.com. And if you're interested in talking about climate tech, if you're considering making a move from the industry that you're in onto climate tech, feel free to reach out and get a hold of me at Jorge, so J-O-R-G-E, at unravelcarbon.com.
0: Awesome. That's so good to hear. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Hooray. I enjoyed learning about your journey as a founder and your experience working at Unravel Carbon and the mission that they're on. They are the first AI-powered decarbonization platform in Asia that converts any company's accounting data into full supply chain carbon data in seconds. So, Like Jorge said, go check them out and follow their journey. And I think I speak for everyone when I say, wow, this podcast has been really great and I am really inspired from your journey. I hope to follow your journey with Unravel Carbon and for our listeners, go check them out and learn more about uh, their platform if you're interested and reach out to Jorge if you want to ask him any questions or want to follow his journey. Thank you so much, Jorge. Thank you, Shree. I hope episode four has been insightful for you like it has been for me. We'd like to thank our podcast editor, Sophia, for all her hard work in creating this episode. How did you find our fourth episode? If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. And please feel welcome to listen to our previous episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you for listening in again. The Green Thorns and Recalibrate team would love to hear from you. If you'd like to get in touch and become a part of our teams, check us out on LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. We'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review and subscribe. We'll catch you in the next episode.